0: Hello, this is the Performance Club Roundtable, our far more topical and casual podcast, certainly a lot more than the main show. It still deals with cycling performance, it's just a little chattier and it's a little more like us discussing and thinking out loud About cycling performance topics.
1: The show is co hosted by me, Cyrus Monk, a professional cyclist and cycling coach. Me, Dr. Jason Boynton, a sports scientist and cycling coach. And then there's me, Damien
0: Roos, a professional cycling coach.
1: Hey there, listener. Welcome to another cycling performance tip episode where we share tidbits of knowledge and sage advice that will hopefully help you improve your performance on the bike. For this episode, it was just Damien and I because Cyrus was taking a little bit of a break. But don't worry, you don't have to listen to just us sharing their own advice into the mix. This episode, we have Dr. Paul Larson, Dr. Steve Palladino, Dr. Matt Miller, and Dr. Will O'Connor, all experts in the endurance world in their own right. Per usual, mentions of products, companies, and services by our guests are not necessarily endorsements from the Cycling Performance Club, but definitely check them out if you get a chance. If our guests sound a little long-winded in their description of themselves, that's on us, because we've instructed our experts to provide a thorough background in order to fully establish their expertise for you guys. So let's get into it. Our first guest is Dr. Paul Larson.
2: Hey team, it's Paul Larson here from Hit Science and Athletica. Um, honored to be able to provide this little snippet of info for Jason Cyrus, Damien um, and the Cycling Performance Club podcast. And yeah, I think most people know who I am in the world of cycling, but uh, yeah, I guess um, 20, 30 years of um experience in the world of science and application uh 150 peer-reviewed p- uh, papers um worked for New Zealand Olympic program for two olympic cycles and uh coached a number of of cyclists including those that um that went to the olympics my cycling performance tip for you would be to really consider the anaerobic Power reserve. So, I also have a, um, a podcast ourselves called the Training Science Podcast. Dio Saunders um, came on. He's a uh, he's a he's a trainer for uh, one of the cycling teams. I lost my mind here, but it's um, but he comes in and really explains why you need to understand the anaerobic power reserve. Uh, quick plug out for hit science, but we do have a, uh, a whole course on how you can um, understand the science and the application of that. But the the general gist I think is that we've probably gone a little bit too too far into the importance of the anaerobic power uh, kind of set. So anaerobic power really it actually doesn't doesn't it shouldn't exist because. What we've learned from these experts is that there's, um, everything that is in that so-called, you know, anaerobic power range, thinking all out efforts up to about 50 seconds, sprint interval training, we would kind of call them. You, they're pretty useless, um, pieces of, 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 work that really can, can put you backwards, uh, in terms of your, you know, a heart factor and something that's going to throw you around from a, um, a sympathetic nervous system and, um, you know, your ability to kind of back that that session up. Save those kind of efforts for races, absolutely, because that's what it's all about. But doing sort of pieces of work that are shorter than that are going to cause for less buildup of that anaerobic system. And, um, yeah, we really should be thinking more along the lines of how you can apply more power—it's sort of for shorter durations in there. So we're looking at more mechanical interventions in that shorter range, putting really as, as Peter Wayand uh, describes a punch into the pedals. So uh, you know, there's lots more to be you know um, learned in our in our course. So hop on over, please, to to hit science and find out a little bit more about the, um, the anaerobic power and speed reserve. Um, all the best to, to everyone out there in their cycling performance or cycling training, and, and we'll look forward to, uh, to seeing you out there. All the best. Cheers.
1: What did you think of that, Damien? Uh,
0: good advice, bringing up a topic that is a little bit uh, undiscussed. <laughs> Is that a word? Undiscussed. Uh, yeah. Bring bringing up something that is, uh, is not often thought about so much. Um, I think what was the crux of the information there is, uh, don't waste your time doing certain efforts, uh, at certain times because the, the knock on effect of that can be quite great. Uh, I don't know. What, what do you think if you distilled that down, uh, what do you think exactly he was saying
1: um yeah i think i think um you are correct in in how you have have uh phrased that i'm i'm still kind of like it's 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 an interesting one for me because i'm like okay now i want to watch the course and actually see like the entire kind of thought process laid out for something like that because with, um, just being a physiologist, if you hear something new, you're going to want to hear like, where's all the, where's all the points of the argument all the way along to, to get to this point now. Um, I, uh, it's physio- <laughs> physiology and training is gets a little bit complicated. Although I do kind of understand the idea of this kind of kind of like physiological dead zone for training in terms of intensity. Um, b- but I don't know how much I would commit myself to that idea. Um, but that's what makes me want to watch the course and kind of get their, their thinking on it. Um, but this idea of, you know, one-minute intervals, um, you know, it comes up where, like, athletes would look at their classic power profile and something like um, uh, maybe like uh, the the... the and training peaks, right? And that's set up as five seconds, one minute, five minutes, uh, 20, 20 minutes of the, an hour. And I remember specifically being on a, on a ride with a guy one day and he's like, I have bad one minute power, so I am working on my one minute power. And, you know, maybe that would be and his coaches thinking would be going out and doing one minute power. But that you're not doing one minute efforts as a cyclist you might do a one minute effort but you have to think that you did an aerobic effort and then you did a one minute effort and then you did an aerobic effort after it and then you might do another one minute effort this isn't the kilo so having low one minute numbers is okay because there's other things that go into a bike race besides your one minute power
0: well it's just in the context Mm -hmm. it might be a good it might be a good one minute effort after two thousand kilojoules
1: Exactly, and then so, yeah. um, And then there's these other things that go around like physiology about uh, like uh, the VO2 slow components and how long it takes to get to a VO2 steady state within an interval, and depending on training level and that kind of stuff, it could be two and a half minutes, it could be three minutes. So, um, if you're looking for some kind of stress that's unique and aerobic then you potentially, the argument is that you have to hold that effort for at least two and a half, three minutes. So a lot of, if you look at a lot of VO2, classic VO2 max intervals, I guess for a lack of better word name from a classic aerobic interval session, uh, classic aerobic hit sessions, you know, a lot of the intervals aren't much shorter than three minutes. And so I've always kind of thought yet there, there's this kind of, dead zone in there between two minute efforts one minute efforts but then we have this new data that's coming out from like Ronesteds and the was it the i don't know if guess it's a, the more the 30 30s and it's a style uh efforts where it's these 30 seconds on 30 seconds off 30 seconds off they do will have a cardiovascular impact because you're on off on off and yes yeah, obviously going to increase your heart rate and it's going to get aerobic. So, um, to quote Paul Larson's um, uh, one of his reviews, he wrote with um, Bichet Martin, Martin Bichet, um, or Bichet. I'm sorry for pronouncing that wrong. Um, but he starts out scientific paper. There's more than one ways to skin a cat when it comes to high intensity animal training. So, but it is, yeah, there is potentially these kind of efforts that um aren't as beneficial as you would think and then but detrimental is another thing so yeah i'd have to l- listen to that their- but
0: we but what was what's that paper by nick wingate out of runstad's lab and he he yep. Yep. he was adding 30 second efforts mm-hmm. into endurance rides mm-hmm. and seeing an, uh, a positive impact for sprint performance mm-hmm. off the back of that mm-hmm. um so yeah it is it it is a difficult thing to answer in in very uh, like in, in some high quality detail mm-hmm. that will actually help somebody but I guess overall what we can take away is just um, this idea if you wanted to explore this idea of what it actually means to uh, do efforts under fifty seconds in whatever form that looks like um, then you've got some pretty clear directions to go and have a look at the course Yeah, may help you answer that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Deo has been on, we've done two episodes with him and, uh, and he's high level dude. (laughs) Like So, and this is, this is his area of research. So again, like I'd be interested to hear what he, what he has to say
0: on it. Yeah. It sounds fun. It sounds fun. It's just, yeah, I can't comment directly on it. Mm -hmm. Um, but let's go directly to someone else's tip. Uh, another recording just to keep it rolling here.
3: Hi, this is Steve Palladino uh, from Palladino Power Project. Um, and I would like to bring you a, uh, a, a cycling tip um, and primarily around training. Uh, my background is uh, uh, I was formerly a runner. I, I was a 216 marathoner and a U.S. Olympic Trials Marathon uh, qualifier. Um, but then I went to medical school, and I was in health um, uh, healthcare delivery for 30-plus years. Um, towards the end of that, um, I was still running as a master, but uh, started having some injuries and switched over to cycling. In about 2002, I picked up uh, uh, cycling with power, and I've been working with um, cycling and running with power since... 2002 so that's uh 20 20 plus years now um i uh i primarily coach uh runners at this point in time with run power um but uh what i'm going to present today it, uh crosses uh, both running and cycling as well as other um endurance based uh, sports so my my tip is uh consistency and uh You know, I think consistency wins if it's properly done. Uh, Consistency wins time and time again. It just—it's—it's the I think is the 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 most important principle. But it's not that simple. It's a little bit more complex than that. I think consistency demands a balance between training load application and recovery that balance is really important so on the recovery side sleep and nutrition and body work is very important and on the training load side is you want to avoid uh, a ramp rate that's too aggressive you want to avoid uh, exceeding training targets uh, you know s- discipline to to training target targets is very important altogether is to keep these things in balance so there's consistency um but inconsistency it does not mean strict adherence to a plan sometimes you have to adjust on the fly that's not consistency um consistency isn't just strictly you know going by what's written down um you have to be willing to adjust but you're still going to get the appropriate stimulus in um while maintaining consistency. And consistency also doesn't mean doing the same thing over and over. That's not what consistency means. It means staying with uh, a program and progressions, gradual progressions over weeks and months and years. That's what consistency is. Um in fact, you have to change change up the stimulus time to time. That's what, that's what periodization is all about is is uh is uh, doing that. So um, yeah, consistency becomes very important. And um, in, in, in applying consistency to your training, realize that this is my, my own personal pr- thoughts, is that it's not about hitting the bullseye every time. It's about hitting the dartboard. That's what training is and staying consistent with that. Hopefully this helps. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.
1: All right. A little bit of background about Steve uh, and how I met him was him and I were actually kind of getting into a debate, a heavy debate in a forum about um, critical power and FTP. And I was like, well, uh, we're not agreeing on this, but this is a poor place to have a discussion. So I said, why don't do you want to come on the show? And uh, so we're actually going to have Hopefully a, a conversation between me, him, and Mark Burnley has decided to come on or has said that he was would come on with us. And uh we'll have a little bit of a debate coming up about critical power and functional threshold power. So this is one of the important things. We're getting back to the criticisms and the stuff like that. We don't agree on something, but I agree with him very much on this. <laughs> you have to be consistent if you're gonna make it in this. Um and yeah. Y- uh, you're not going to uh, be able to hit the targets all the time. I I actually thought of an analogy while um, while I was laying out uh, Tony's uh, taper into worlds, and I thought about how much a taper and training are like uh, flying and landing a plane. So when the the biggest portion. of... Of your trip, when I fly from the U.S. to Australia, it's up in the air, it, it's high in the air, um, and that's your like your training portion. And if you screw anything up while you're in the in the air like that, you typically you have plenty of time to course correct, to fix it, yeah, to fix it, right? Yep. Plenty of plenty of time to fix it before you hit the ground, um, and that's the advantage of that, right? um but you have to stay consistent the engines have to stay on (laughs) otherwise you're gonna lose it and 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 you have to be burning gas and and stressing the plane the whole time right like that's the tricky part about staying in that in the flight but once you get to the taper where you're landing the plane like at that point the good point is is that the stress is all behind you like you've done the work you've done the tough work uh, now you're just going to glide it in and that's, that's good. That's, that's a load off your mind for the most part where you're like, okay, the work's been done. I've gotten to this point. We're bringing it in for a landing. However, if you screw something up in the taper, if all of a sudden you jerk that wheel and just like, or that stick and just, you do not have the time. You do not have the time to, to, to pull back on the stick and level things out and get yourself back on course. So the taper you could is, like the landing, the is the yeah. place where you have a higher risk of crashing and burning, right? Like what? Wait, you know, two days out from your A-race, you decide to go out and do a six hour ride? No, <laughs> you know, like, wait, you decided to stay up all night and party? No, this, these, these, you know, you can get away with that. You could have gotten away with that four months ago. We can't do that here, right? So Um, yeah, I think that just speaks to that point and kind of a realization that I had around and that analogy with the, with the plane and flying. It's a good,
0: it's a good analogy. Uh, yeah, you could keep, keep going with that as well. I think that's a really good one. Um, for me, I agree. Consistency is super important. Uh, context on what you're consistent about is super important. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I think about consistency, I just think about every single high performer, across everything in the world pretty much is there because of consistency.
2: Mm-hmm. They've
0: been able to find a way to maintain the load and level of whatever they're doing uh, enough that they have got to a point where uh, what what they do um, is at such a high level that it just uh, is better than other people. So, yeah, totally agree.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: All right, so do you want to do one of yours or should we do one of the written ones from one of the guys?
0: Um, Yeah, I'm probably done with my useful ones. I just kind of get to other ones. Uh, So yeah, let's do a written one. Uh, This is from uh, Richard Richard Wharton. And he says, the second it ceases to be We should probably tell him
1: who Richard Wharton is. You had him on your podcast a while ago, right? He's an American yeah, actually, coach. He's been in it for like 30 years. He's been in the game for like 30 years. That's a he while. has
0: been uh, around a long time. And yes, I did interview him when he had a uh, cycling indoor, gym, right? yeah. indoor cycling gym in Dallas, Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, we spoke about the dynamics of, of that um, as, as part of somebody's performance. Uh, so certainly been around a long time in the performance world as well, Seen a lot of things come and go, I imagine. Uh, but then again, it's when it comes back to advice and tips, um, this might be surprising. Uh, but he does says that the, the second it ceases to be fun, it's time to go bowling. <laughs> uh, and I'll continue to read his, his quote here it has to reward you. Cycling is such a cruel mistress who always demands more. We're slaves chasing a dream. Sometimes we catch the dream, sometimes we don't. I think Neil Peart's line in the 80s Rush song, the point of the journey is not to arrive. So we need to fall in love with the journey again. And one of my favorite Zen moments that I try to repeat every ride is, Is to turn off the analysis paralysis, focus on the sound of the velocity of the air as it enters and exits my lungs, and just enjoy the sun on my back, the wind in my face, the territory ahead, and the distance left behind. Enjoy the moment.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, And he's also not like me, or he's also like me. He does not like earbuds when when you're riding. So... I have a tip around that. I don't know if it's appropriate or not. You can write the podcast and tell me. But so <laughs> I say if you need to listen to earbuds while you're riding, it's kind of like reading baseball stats off of <laughs> off of a um off your iPhone where you're having unprotected sex with a prostitute. There's two things wrong with that. One, it's not safe. And two, If you need some kind of side entertainment when you're doing something that is that exhilarating, then maybe cycling isn't for you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but I'm on the opposite side of that. I I enjoy listening to things while I'm riding.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It fits into the package for me. Uh, But of course, it's at a certain point where it's a fine art, where you're selecting things based on your intensity of your ride. So how much you can pay attention to something depending on how hard you're going. Yeah. Yeah good advice to bring, to bring us back to being in the moment.
1: All right. What do I have next? One, one of my tips that, uh, it's in here. Uh, another really good one that I like has been touched on, but we haven't really hit on, um, is I think it's to secure a social network of other people to ride with. I think that's huge. I think that's so big. Um, one of my riders, is retired and he has that his schedule is different than other people and it's training by himself a lot of times. So, you know, I would say actively get out with people twice a week and ride at least, at least try to get your schedule around that and be proactive and get people that to ride with you. Um, if you need to, especially if you move to a new area or something like that, just make a list of people that you know that ride and, some people will be able to ride with you on, you know, your long, hard, uh, mm-hmm. uh, like endurance tempo rides, you know, different calibers of riders will be able to ride with you during different rides. Um, you know, maybe you're going to do a hit session. You don't need somebody that can keep up with you. Maybe they just sit in your draft. Um, you know, maybe you have a partner that isn't quite as fast as you, well, then you can ride with them on on your days that are easy and short. So there's something to be said about like having that network around you so that like not every ride is by yourself. And, um, also having a network around you of people that will be able to kind of ride within the pace that you want to hold. Right. It's, um, which is a sign of kind of like a maturity of a rider is like when they are committing to the workout for the day and kind of sticking with it. But, um, yeah, I mean, some people like to ride alone. There's nothing wrong with that. Like I will ride alone quite a bit, but I obviously don't want to ride all my rides alone. So what do you think of that? Um, what's the,
0: what's the purpose of the tip? Is it longevity? Is it, Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. yeah. Is it, uh, adherence to the sport? Right. Like yeah. That, cause again, um, it all comes back. This is not an easy thing to do, and you have to. Well, be you're consistent. giving tips for yeah
0: h- how you can have different programs and still kind of still ride with people and things like yeah yeah yeah. Like this, this is where the difficulty comes down to it. So I have found that the most effective writers, generally speaking, uh, when it comes to compliance,
2: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> ride alone, um, and then but. Yeah, as far as whether they're in the sport in five years, maybe they're not. Um, I will say for me personally, uh, I prefer riding alone.
1: Yeah. Some people do. There's nothing wrong with that. If you can do all your rides by yourself and you're happy, I'm not going to judge.
0: But again, uh, if we're talking in a performance context here, uh, I think there are certainly times Across the year, when it's important to jump in the less efficient group ride to either test yourself, to sharpen up your skills again,
2: mm-hmm.
0: to do other things uh, that that you need people for mm-hmm. um, when you are trying to build towards something that ultimately a race includes other people, so you need them there.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, and or or at least trying to find some type of network that understands what you're doing and what you're going through, uh, and you can. Talk about the race on the weekend, or or whatever. I think is important to to um, debrief from certain things like that, so you can learn. So you can just um, just expand, just general chit chat over nothing. You know, like just usual bunch chatter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but for me, I'm a solo rider. Yeah,
1: oh, man. I my Saturday ride is with the with the guys that I ride with. Ugh. It's been a lifesaver, you know, moving from Wisconsin to Perth and just having that like you go through a hard week of the PhD and then the boys are there at the end of the week. Just catch up and ride, you know, miserate, whatever. Um, yeah, definitely like such a good thing to have around. Like I always kind of made the joke that as a cyclist, I don't need church because everywhere I go, there's going to be people that I can know uh, and meet new people. you just show up to a group ride. Be able to hang, and you're gonna have someone to chat with. It either you're in Wisconsin, you'll drink a beer with them after the ride, and in, in Perth, you'll stop and have a coffee.
0: Yeah, and I've had those moments as well where I'm on a Sunday bunch ride in the most unlikely place, uh, where you didn't even think cycling existed, and mm-hmm. then you turn up at a certain time at a certain point, and there's a bunch of diehards. There, willing to put up with whatever conditions are in front of you, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, to go for a ride, and of course, you always have common ground because you're sharing the same experience together. Um, and some of my, yeah, most fondest memories of just random life experiences have come in those moments, um, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: which is, uh, which is a, a pretty cool advantage, um. Yeah, performance-wise, probably not so much. But then yeah. the same can be said about racing in different places
1: as well, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That camaraderie. Um, yeah, I started a ride in 2006 in Madison called the Meathead Ride. And it started in November and went to March. And we have a set loops depending on how the weather is. But the whole point is Monday night, you show up to Ford's gym. No matter how bad the Wisconsin winter is, and you're going to have someone to ride with. And people always be like, are you going to con- continue it through the summer? I'm like, no, 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 this is for the hard bodies. Like this is for the <laughs> people that are come kind, of, kind of come out and you bundle up and then you, you know, we would ride to, to abreast and it basically, what would end up happening is that you would have this, uh, um, like it'd be like Monday night poker in horrible conditions. <laughs> and you're getting exercise but yeah a little bit of a tangent but uh yeah so what do we have next year we've got one more one more recording yep
4: we have uh matt miller and will o'connor
0: yeah let's play that
4: all right hey what's up this is dr matt miller aka mtb phd former elite mountain biker and inventor and founder of brake ace the world's first brake power meter hey
5: i'm dr will o'connor sports scientist coach, educator, and endurance technology consultant and competitive runner.
4: Together, Will and I co-host the Performance Advantage podcast, which is all about bringing sports science to the people. And we also co-developed the introduction to exercise science for endurance coaches, which is part of Training Peaks University. All right, Will, so you will already know what my top tip is going to be. It's going to be about breaking. Uh, So Ace is the world's first brake power meter and automatic analysis software. And what it does is it analyzes your ride for you, and it shows you three places where you can improve. Now, braking, even for road cyclists, is really, really important. It's literally free speed. So you might expend one banana worth of energy going up a hill, but then you break away a quarter of a banana in energy going back down the hill. And we know that there's actually a lot of time in there. So by looking at your key opportunities, you can save five seconds per two minutes of a section of road or trail just by changing the way you break. So if you're focusing on really tiny marginal gains, I would say focus on the big stuff first and that's breaking. and there's a lot of time to be had in there.
5: All right, Matt, that's a good one. And along those lines, miners know your numbers and listen and be realistic about your numbers. So I've got three key numbers, which are your weekly training load or monthly training load, uh, rather than arbitrary miles or hours per week, your thresholds, heart rate, pace, power, speed, and your zones. So what I see happening a lot of the time is athletes are pushing these arbitrary values to try and achieve unrealistic performance Gains. And so, what we want to do is align our capabilities, physical capabilities, so we can target and effectively and efficiently train within our zone. So, we're hitting our energy systems, we're hitting our key opportunities in terms of performance enhancement. And then, when we're able to execute our race, we're not tired, we're fresh, and we're able to train consistently and improve our speed and fitness.
0: Okay, so the second tip there uh is just reinforcement of kind of what we've already been saying, pretty much. Mm.
1: Um well he's he's definitely got a unique I mean uh I think he's I, I think that's a unique point. Um to 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 be aware of your zones and your training and that type of stuff and just like the numbers. Um but uh, I what? also
0: CP versus FTP?
1: Oh <laughs> <laughs> Um, but be yeah, be aware of of, of your numbers. And one of my taps I've probably said in the podcast before is um fairly recently is that the numbers are only there to help. If um if the numbers are doing something different than that, then there's a discussion there. There's a mindset that has to be changed or something, some kind of intervention has to be able to take place because if the numbers aren't helping even on the bad days they're there just to tell you what reality is so um if like again it just comes back are the numbers helping good are the numbers not helping okay we changed something okay Um, and then Uh, Matts. yeah Matts
0: is just uh uh quantifying our point about our sub point about momentum. momentum
1: yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> Does it, is he, yeah. he's he's speaking to another sub point about momentum yeah um and uh kudos to him to for looking into that i'm pretty sure that's what he did his phd around was kind of developing a kind of a, a break power meter and as you can hear he's also an american that also went and did his phd here in the southern hemisphere he was over in new zealand for that that's how him and We'll know each other, uh, if I understand right. But yeah, they also have their own podcast. So check them out. They've got some cool people that come on there. Um, but yeah, thanks for doing that for us, guys. <laughs> Just cold, cold, uh, cold emailed them. I was like, hey, you want to come on and give us some tips there, guys? They're like very good about it. So thanks a lot there. Um, so who? what do we have next here? Uh Do, do, do we want to do one more? Lucas. Lucas, yeah. So a little bit of background on Lucas. Lucas is one of my kind of first like coaching colleagues from back in the day. So I met him when I was uh, in Michigan and doing my master's with Steve McGregor. And he ended up eventually going into that program. Um, But yeah, just Michigan isn't really well known for its cycling scene. It is. I don't want to get any hate mail. It's got a really good mountain bike scene. They got cross and all that kind of stuff, but. The road scene, um, maybe not so much. Although, maybe that's just where I was. I was in Ypsilanti and Ann Arbor outside of Detroit there. So, um, yeah, um, the roads aren't so it's super great for the road riding down in that area. But anyways, um, we hit it off, uh, lined really well. And he is. Um, he has been cycling for a long time. And his mom was invi- involved in cycling as well. So, he's got a really good inside into the junior scene, but, um, yeah, good guy. Love him. Um, known him for a long time. So this is what, um, Lucas's tip is for our listeners is, uh, the best that comes to mind for him is, again, it goes in that Dunning-Kruger effect is when you're around this all the time, it's hard to figure out what you think is useful for everybody else. Um, but his thing is, is work on speed skills during, uh, most workouts. It takes very little time not much effort And while it's not a key limiter for a lot of riders events, having good leg speed, acceleration or jump will benefit any bike racer in different moments. Uh, Just add a small gear sprint, standing start, jump, short sprint, or the like uh, to any non recovery workout. So um, there's two things that I would kind of branch off from this is one is uh, why not just speed skills? um i advocate uh instead of like having just straight up skills workouts um i mean for juniors you can do like straight up skills workouts and sometimes you you definitely have athletes that need to work on their handling and their cornering and you're like go out and do this um but once you get kind of more advanced uh then you should just be working on it all the time so there's certain places certain corners that i ride regularly and i just i'm just going to try to rail this thing as hard as hard as i can uh things that are technical because it's just easier to do it that way and just be working on technical skills when the chance where the where the opportunity presents itself as opposed to uh just setting up a whole day and maybe setting up cones or wh- whatever you're uh thinking about that's the road world it might be a little bit different for um, mountain biking and all that, the, the things that types of riding there. I don't want to say more skilled based, but you know, um, have I, I don't know, yeah.
0: But this, this is sort of based on where you are in your cycling experience as well. Because when mm-hmm. it gets to the point where you are very experienced, you're combining a few different things, uh, because that's practice, practicing the skill as close to you would be doing it in a race. But if you are on the beginner side of things, then you definitely have to split them up and then slowly combine them to to put them together. So it, again, it would depend specifically on who um, who the person is that uh, that that needs to do this. Um, but I do think you're right as far as yeah, there are certain times that may there may be some corner or little hill or downhill, something that you hit every single training ride because it's in front of your house or something. Mm-hmm. Why not that be the thing that you just use to, to practice that, that part of the skill. Um, mm-hmm. it is kind of funny though, that this in some ways, it's like an informal way. It goes against sort of Paul Larson's tip to watch out for the short efforts in training. Uh, of course we couldn't clarify exactly what he's talking about, but for me, um this is this is one of those things where if you were going to do something like this you would try and keep it shorter mm-hmm, rather mm-hmm, than longer
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um and th- that's the, the different energy system there is that those very very short ones would be phosphocreatine uh, atp production and that type of stuff and that's going to be replenished through the aerobic system anyways uh, down the road but uh um to add to this and the the other branch i was thinking about is when we interviewed jensen jensen um that's you know it, a, and i think uh jai said something about this too like they just kind of throw sprints in at the end of their at the end of their rides and with uh jensen being, being like the big sprinter dude like that kind of makes sense um but uh, i can also it also makes sense with what Paul was saying too is in a recent paper I was reading about, like that was looking into the anthropometric and physiologic, you know, physiological characteristics of these unique of the road sprinter, which it's hard, like it is a sprinter, but it isn't a sprinter, right? They're not like track sprinters. They're not, you know, they're not like Usain Bolt. There, it's a, it's a, and it's an endurance racer who has a sprint. So it's almost mischaracterizing them to call them a sprinter in a sense. Um, Yes, the size of their muscles and type two fibers figure into that. Um, But with those type of riders, there's uh, something that's going on with their um, fascicle length, which is kind of fascinating. And, you know, what they might be referring to there is that if you want to increase fascicle length, I don't really think there's anyone and become a better road sprinter uh, I don't know if there's any good way to do that on the bike. I would have to look into it a little bit more. But asking around with my strength training eccentric colleagues, they're like, yeah, that's an eccentric contraction thing. That's an eccentric training thing. So uh, that may be another future episode around that. Yeah. So I guess let's just do the rapid fun, fun, hot tips that we have left here. The the goofy ones. What do you what do you got here, Damien?
0: Uh, my final tip,
1: or goofy ones, or if you have any kind of goofy ones,
0: Uh, I don't know if I have a goofy one. The one I have is not necessarily performance based, but Mm. it's kind of like um, know the rules and unwritten rules of cycling before you break the rules. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, cycling.
0: Yeah, cycle. Look, (laughs) cycling is clicky enough as it is, so it's kind of I kind of have a hard time saying saying this stuff, but I do come from an era where I did wear black socks to my first road race and I was told do never, never to wear them again.
3: (laughs) Um,
0: so it, it, you know, it had a very strict code coming up and then, and one of the, one of the ideas here is like in in every stage of your cycling development journey, you earn something that you can have. And that includes, includes gear or doing breaking the rules or whatever. So Mm -hmm. for me, it's just, just, have an understanding of of what those rules are, and it's not necessarily
1: um, or understanding that those rules are there.
0: Yeah, just just that they're there. So, and and that um, if, and if not to get frustrated to, by it, <laughs> not if to define your entire journey mm-hmm. um, in cycling, but just know that that is the way that cycling is, and then you just choose your place in it based off that um, whether you know whether it's it is something like wearing a skin suit in a road race uh, or an aero helmet to a local crit, mm-hmm. um, or it is something like letting your legs do the talking uh, versus I don't know what the alternative that is, but it's it's I just think it's in a, uh, it's important just to understand as a whole um, all these sort of small things because then it can definitely make uh, the experience much better.
1: Yeah. One of the things that's come out of the sociology research, I think is around fringe groups. And so maybe like, I don't know, like I was a a raver when I was younger. Maybe that's an overshare, but, um, but you look at these groups and are like, I'm a little bit on the outskirts of society, you know? Um, but you find out within those groups that they're very homogenous. And they have a like st- order, and so, in order to identify within that group, even though you are fringed to society, there are things that they're very kind of uh, regimented and strict about and I imagine the same thing with cycling right
0: cycling's probably, I feel like it's one of the worst, but yeah it's the thing of like we are in an alternative music group, you've got to buy the hundred dollar hoodie with a certain logo in order to be identified in that group or whatever. But there's also this, this other psychological thing around groups, which is the in group and the out group. And we all know the classic um, trope of cyclists saying that triathletes can't uh, ride bikes and things, for example, you know, so um, it's very easy to pick on those that are different. Uh, So you want to, so people do try and make sure that they're in the in group. So they aren't kind of the, 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 the fodder for those types of Of jokes or attacks or whatever.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's anything has a learning curve like this, but, uh, I think cycling specifically, it's, it's crazy. The detail you can go into on the rules that, uh, you don't even think about.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, uh, speaking of that, I'll give, um, one of my, I don't know, pet pet peeves. It turns into a rule that's in this in this area i mean i've i probably have a few of them but like man when i see people with their bike upside down Mm. just just irks me to my (laughs) irks me to the core i remember one time we were uh me and an athlete were riding by um uh, by someone that was changing their tire or changing a flat and they had their bike upside down, which doesn 't make sense it doesn 't make sense just put your bike on the side you 'd have to put your bike on the side anyways just put it on on the side if you put it upside down you're now you 're scuffing up the the hoods and the seat all the pretty bits that you know that you can see um so just don 't do it um, but we'll f- anyways this, this athlete of mine we 've been working together for a while he 's got a good sense of humor, so i tur- so we get out odd earshot from him. Out from them, and I turn to him and I go. If I ever see you doing that, I will fucking disown you. <laughs> he just yelled, at, "Oh God," or something along the lines. Of, if I ever see you put, put your bike upside down like that, I will disown you. But obviously, he knew I was joking. So
0: you must have a, a very specific thing about how you can put put your bike leaning against something. You know, like you never lean the top tube on the actual pole or whatever. You're always looking for rubber. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. The I always just put touch. the rear tire up against whatever right yeah um but uh yeah it's it's kind of kind of funny i mean yeah so if i have to take my rear r- wheel off i just put it on the bike on the side with the drive side up it's fine right um it's much better that way and anyways um i wouldn't want to leave our listeners without giving some thermal regulation advice from the environmental physiologist so i've got a couple tips there hot tips for cold riding. So so some of the, I have two things here for that is winter's coming up in the Northern Hemisphere. So we don't want to leave those listeners out here. One of the things that I have found is uh, makes a lot of sense. And I actually gave this to the the world tour Academy when they're the Australians were heading up to the, to Europe is um, it's better to, to layer the core and keep your arms with less on it. So, and the reason for this is that the the arms uh, have a lot of surface to, for surface to volume area. So you can lose a lot of heat there, and and you can reg, it is going to regulate better. So if you say, for example, if I was going to go out and re and ride below zero, I'd have like a base layer on. I'd have a jersey. I might have a vest on and then I would put a jacket on and I wouldn't put arm warmers or anything like that. I would only have that one layer and it would seem to, it helps regulate a lot better. If you put two layers on your arms, it's going to, I always felt like it's just too hot and too uncomfortable. Um, and similarly, like when I go out and I run, I rarely wear jackets in Perth because it's just not modular enough. I want the ability to peel down my arm warmers if, if I get hot on a climb or whatever. So, um, yeah. So this, this
0: kind of helps explain, uh, the popularity of the GABA jacket then. Oh, the
1: Gabba's in Perth. It, when it gets winter here, uh, Castelli's basic, it's team Castelli everywhere. Everyone wearing the GABA. Um, it's Gabba is the unofficial wear for Boynton coaching. <laughs> Every single athlete I have come on is like, it leaves in Perth. Um, this is then, what everyone gets. Everyone gets a GABA.
0: Then it yeah. makes sense. Like outside of the aero, which initially that was kind of my, my thinking as to why it was so popular. Uh, mm-hmm. Because it is effective aero. But it's like, you know, it's cold, wet, raining, arms are exposed. Mm-hmm. But that's okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, uh, and then you just get like a thermal set of uh, kind of water resistance arm warmers and, and you're good. And they do have long-sleeve GABAs, but I look at them like, these are too hot. Um, but then they have like, well, now it sounds like a, a Castelli ab for, for GABA, but oh man, but for me in Wisconsin, I would have gotten like two weeks there where it would have been useful. Um, if you're in California, it's, it's going to be great because that's just the weather. But in Wisconsin, it would have been like kind of cold or whatever. And then all of a sudden it'd just be really cold and GABA is, what are you going to do with it then? Um, so yeah, there's my, uh, there's that advice. And then the other thing, um, for it's re- when it's really cold and, um, is that I always used to take spare gloves with me. If it's below zero, I'm taking spare gloves. And the reason for this is, is it's like, a, it's a safety thing. Um, cause if you have to get off your bike and, um, say change a tire, or it used to happen to me when I was going, going back from the ride and stopping at stop signs and stoplights for the to the ride all of a sudden you are the core temperature is dropping but you have very sweaty gloves on and even if it's winter gloves there's a bunch of moisture in there and when you are done and get back on the bike and you put your hand into that end into that glove the the water or the sweat and the glove is now cooled and it takes a lot of heat to uh there's a high specificity of heat to water so it takes a lot of heat to warm it up um this is why the whole you know, watched, watched uh, pot never boils or whatever. Um, and you are just not going to be able to create enough energy, enough thermal energy from riding, uh, to warm up your hands enough to warm up the sweat that's in the glove. Um, the best thing to do is just take the glove off and put new gloves them that are fresh that don't have the sweat in it. Right. And I've been at the point in Wisconsin where I'm literally 10 minutes from home and my arm and my fingers are just uh, freezing, like the pain in them is just intense, and I just switch the gloves out. So, yeah, I always carry when it's when it's cold. I always carry a spare pair of gloves with me, and I always used to tell my athletes that. So, yeah, nice little tip. So
0: there. similar, similar to that. Um, how about this idea of doing a warm up on an indoor trainer for even just five minutes before you go out when it's really cold? um so generating some heat and then trapping it in and then getting outside sort of not having to go through that process of being cold and warming up
1: i the problem is with the sweat always the sweat
0: Um, well you'd have to manage it you would have to make sure that you're not doing anything
1: anything you you can you can just do body weight squats if you want right and get a little bit of um a little bit of blood flowing before you go back out it's it's tricky. I mean, you can experiment with that. I'm totally not against it. Uh, usually when I, when I always felt like when I went outside, if it felt like it was just a tad brisk, then I would I was OK. If I if I walk outside and I feel like oh, I'm comfortable, I have probably overdressed. Yes. Um, But uh, yeah, the last goofy tip I have is have a race bag, have a race bag, put all your stuff in it. So you're not forgetting things and make and you'll be a popular person if you remember to put a roll of toilet paper in there. <laughs> and that's all I got.
0: It seems like the advanced tip is to have uh baby wipes.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing is is if you rock if if you're at the if you're at the race and the toilet paper runs out in the in the porta potties there. And you are the guy that comes to, and you're like, I got a whole roll. Don't leave here. You are the hero for the day but the thing is it always comes back to this race bag thing like just have it and keep everything in there that the sunscreen the eye the eyewear your spare glasses spare shoes you know things that are easy to forget you know uh spare kit if you have it and just everything's just kind of chucked in there so you just grab it all at one time um and head out the door with it i can't say i have a great bag for that right now but i'm not racing as much as i did like in college college it was lifesaver um less maturity (laughs) less uh less um race experience having all that in one place is ideal Um, but i don't know are you you got any more there no no i think that's a wrap
0: did you learn anything new in this episode awesome This is a listener-supported podcast, so we would be stoked if you supported us by becoming a member of the Cycling Performance Club and providing a monthly contribution. With your backing, we can continue our mission to deliver the best in cycling performance knowledge and practical advice to you and the greater cycling community for a better sport click the link in the show notes to support us monthly. Or if you prefer to make a one-off donation for now, you can buy us a coffee or three also by clicking the link in the description. Don't forget, Jason, Cyrus, and I offer coaching and consulting services for cyclists and teams. The links to our websites can be found in the show notes. And with that,
2: thanks for listening.